As far as I'm concerned, as long as that same respect and recognition is not shown toward every one of our people in this country, it doesn't exist for me. And during the few moments that we have left, we want to have just an off-the-cuff chat between you and me, us. We want to talk right down to earth in a language that everybody here can easily understand. Welcome back to another episode of The Malcolm Effect. Today is actually a first because we have a brilliant scholar, Dr. Ronit Lentin, who I came across through her amazing scholarship, but also we've had her daughter, Dr. Alanin Lentin, who's also a friend of the show many times. I think we're going to go straight into it. Given our current moment, I wanted to speak specifically about the creation of the state of Israel, Zionism, settler colonialism, and what Palestinian liberation means in this moment. So first and foremost, welcome, Professor Ronit Lentin. How are you? I'm good. Thank you very much for having me. No, it's a, it's an honor and privilege for us. So I guess the first question I have is, I know we can't, I guess, do the topic justice given the time we have. However, I guess succinctly and briefly, how was the state of Israel created? Well, the State of Israel was created by the Zionist movement, and it's important to speak briefly about Zionism, which is a European creation created in Vienna or in the center of European culture by Theodor Herzl, who was a secular Jewish journalist who was appalled by anti-Semitism locally and you know, collected around him various um, people to create what is called the Zionist movement, which was the, the kind of principle of the Jewish movement with the Zionist movement was to deal with anti-Semitism in Europe, but it essentially was a European movement in nature, a racist movement in nature, and actually an anti-Semitic movement in nature, which is interesting because it actually had an opposition to the diasporic Jew who was weak, passive, supposedly, um, a small sort of person who managed to live amongst Christians who didn't like him very much. And it also was a colonial movement in nature. So all these elements led to eventually to the um, establishment of the State of Israel. And uh, if you possibly know about the Balfour Declaration of um, uh, 1917, where the British, who had a mandate over Palestine, pro- promised um the land of Palestine to the Jews, not necessarily out of loving Jews, but on the contrary, out of wishing to get the Jews out of Europe. So the people who um, masterminded the British support for the establishment of the State of Israel were essentially anti-Semites. So anti-Semitism was very much um, at the basis or you know, anti-Jewish racism, if you want, the basis of the Zionist movement and the establishment of the State of Israel. This is the way I would um, interpret it. Okay, thank you so much for that. And speaking about then, maybe people who, who have heard in this moment Zionism, a lot of Zionism, and then the conflation between Zionism and anti-Semitism, I guess for the listeners who may not be as aware, how do we understand what is Zionism? Well, as I said, Zionism is a political movement aimed at initially aimed at eradicating anti-Semitism, finding a problem for what was conceived as the Jewish problem in Christian Europe. And the Jewish problem was primarily anti-Semitism, but it was um, 
uh, created by Jews in Western Europe, mostly Germany and Austria, with a certain degree of um, contempt towards the majority of Jews who lived in Eastern Europe, in Poland, Russia, and the um, other countries of Eastern Europe, who were poorer, uh, who were less, uh, more kind of Jewish, obviously Jewish, and less cultured, or cultured in the in the kind of Western way. And um, Zionism is a political movement in response to anti-Semitism, which also a political movement established in Germany by the name was given to it by the German journalist Wilhelm Marr. And basically, a, as a political movement, it lobbied for a, a place where Jews can be free of anti-Semitism. And eventually, after its founder, Theodor Herzl, a book, The New, the, the Jewish State and the New Old New Land, they were thinking about a place where Jews can be away from Europe, but create a European colony away from Europe. So uh, various options were discussed. One of them was Uganda, and um, the other option was Madagascar. But eventually the option of Palestine came up after um, Herzl uh, negotiated with the representative of the Ottoman Empire. And eventually Palestine was decided upon because it was seen as the ancient home of the biblical Jews. So this seemed like a logical place for Jews to supposedly return to. But essentially, there is, there's quite a lot of discussion whether the Jews of today are actually the descendants of those Hebrews, Israelites and Judeans, who um, lived in the time of the Bible as one of two of the tribes that lived in the area that is now Palestine. And it's not at all clear that we, the Jewish people who what unites us is the Jewish religion, descendants of these people at all. There are quite a lot of discussions about that. I wanted to follow up on that to specifically kind of offer the question of what is the utility of these claims of indigeneity for Israel as a state? How does that help it operationalize this ideology? Yes, that's very a very interesting um, question because both Palestinians and Israelis, Jews, claim indigeneity to this area called Palestine today. But in fact, it's not at all clear. It's an area where there were, that saw lots of movements of lots of tribes, nations, peoples who fought each other, killed each other, won over each other. And it's not at all clear whether today's so-called Jews are indigenous to this land, even though many of them claim it, or even whether the Palestinians are indigenous to this land. It's clear that at this point of time, Palestinians who have lived there for a few hundred years, longer than the Israelis who live there now, but indigeneity is a moot point, and indigeneity is very often used in order to strengthen the racism of the Israeli colony towards the Palestinians who are natives in this respect, but not necessarily indigenous in term in the, in the sense that um, American um, Native Americans or Aboriginal Australians are indigenous to these two lands. I had another follow-up that sort of ties to this as well. And I've been thinking about the kind of statecraft of colonialism and the consequences that ha- this has in the context 
of Palestine, but also the wider consequences across various sort of national contexts, right? You described earlier in the sort of creation of Israel as a state, at the at that point in time in which the Balfour Declaration was made and these kinds of coalitions were built to establish the state of Israel, Palestine was a, you know, British kind of, you know, colony in a sense, right? But it was actually a British protectorate. Ah, okay. The, the Brit- Britain had a mandate to rule over Palestine after the after the First World War, when the area was won over from the Ottoman Empire. Brit- Brit- the British there were not colonizers as they were, say, in India or in other places. They held a mandate to run it, to, man- to manage it. Yeah, so like a system of somewhat of an indirect rule in which they had kind of administrative and almost bureaucratic kind of hold over it and running over it, but they didn't engage in the kind of settler colonial project or typically extractive colonial project. Thank you for for clarifying that. I I just wanted to kind of like explore that because I thought that was quite interesting and how colonialism in and of itself kind of creates the possibility of a mandate, right? Enough to destabilize a population who exists in a particular nation in order to serve a kind of interest of the West. Yes, but the interesting thing is that with giving the Zionists permission to create what is called a national home in Palestine and eventually to establish a state, uh, it enabled Zionist colonization of Palestine, something which most Israelis do not accept because many of them see it as their old land to which they return. And many of them basically see it as see Zionism as a movement of liberation, but it, it's not actually a moment of national of a moment of anti-colonial liberation because these Jews who came to Palestine, these Zionists who came to Palestine, were not colonized. In fact, they were briefly managed, if you want, by the, the British colonists, but they weren't colonized as such. So Zionism cannot be seen as an anti-colonial movement. It can be seen as a maybe a liberation movement of Jews from anti-Semitism, but this is very moot. And it's very clear to me and to many people uh, who have researched it that Zionism is a clear case of settler colonialism, just as the Australian settler colonialism, the uh, North American settler colonialism, the Canadian settler colonialism, and so on and so forth. But it is slightly different in that it doesn't have a mother country as such, because in other places there is mostly the British, but also other mother countries. Here, you have a group of people who came from a variety of countries colonizing an area with the assistance of a mother country, Britain in this instance. So it's a slightly different case of settler colonialism. And there is also, you know, settler colonialism as opposed to colonialism is when the settlers intend to stay and make it their own. And here there was an extra layer of the settler, the settler colonials, actually seeing it as their own from time immemorial. In other words, we have been exiled from our land, Israel and Judea of the past, supposedly by the Romans and then the Babylonians, and we returning to what is essentially our land. That's the way the Zionists portrayed. In fact, Research, recent research, particularly by Shlomo Zand, whose work I appreciate a lot, in a book called The Invention of the Jewish People, claimed that there has never been this exile. The, yes, Jews moved a lot, and the Romans took some Jews as slaves, as, as took them away with them from Palestine. But in fact, there wasn't this big exile that we talk about, the 2,000 years of exile, and the country 
which was ours once, to which we return. This is all a set of fictions, deliberately concocted, deliberately, um, if you want, authored in order to create a nation out of a very disparate group of people. I mean, they're French Jews, American Jews, uh, Polish Jews, Russian Jews. We are not as such a nation. And the Zionism, the Zionism, Zionist ideology very much sees Jews as a nation, which they clearly are not. Thank you so Thank much you. for that. Yeah, no, absolutely. Thank you so much for that. My next question then is about this deliberate conflating of anti-Semitism and anti-Zionism to the point where people are, especially activists and organizers are being charged with the charge of anti-Semitism and they are struggling. Some people are struggling, especially on campuses, to navigate this terrain. Just wanted you to speak to that and perhaps maybe some advice as well. Yes, it's a, it's a very current issue. And every time anybody, uh, of course, criticizes Israel, they're tarred with the feather of anti-Semitism. But in fact, it is the Zionists to conflate Jews with Zionism. To them, the state of Israel is the state of all Jews in the world. And in fact, any Jew who can prove they have Jewish relatives, to start with, they had to prove they have a Jewish mother, but this has changed, particularly due to the immigration of Russian Jews who didn't necessarily always have Jewish mothers, but they had Jewish relatives. Anybody who has Jewish relatives, parenthood, can in fact get automatic Israeli citizenship. And this is very reminiscent of another jurisdiction. The Nuremberg laws in Nazi Germany allowed anybody or made anybody who had Jewish parenthood eligible for the gas chambers, didn't they? So basically, the Zionists conflated the Jews with Zionism and with Israel. And therefore, for them to now moan the fact that anybody who criticizes their policies, not the Jews, is an anti-Semite, is kind of rich, isn't it? And I think we have to make this clear separation between the Jews and Zionism, Zionist politics and the state of Israel, because the state of Israel does not stand for all Jews. And you've seen yourselves in New York with the large demonstrations of Jewish people against the policies of Israel in New York and elsewhere as well. Does that kind of answer the question? Yeah, absolutely. And I understand the I've often said we have to interrogate and look into the role that the state of Israel has in the increase of anti-Semitism in the last in the in the second half, latter half of the twentieth, twenty-first century, and twentieth century, twentieth uh, century. Because at the same time, there was a brilliant piece by Muhammad al Kurd in which he provocatively and controversially titled a Jew stole my home. It's not my fault he was Jewish. But what he was trying to call our attention to is this constant confounding and conflation between Zionism and, and, and a Jewishness yeah. and then how people then pick it up is not the fault of the Palestinians, for example. So when you have the Star of David on the flag or when you people say this is a Jewish national home or when we say they're doing this in the name of protecting the Jewish people, it then becomes we are now arguing discursively over how to name things and then all too often that becomes a distraction from, for example, the real drones that are being dropped on the heads of Palestinians right now. And I, and I just say that because I just say that because I'm, I guess also someone's on the ground in, in, a, in a heavily pro-Zionist institute. When I'm talking to my comrades or talking to other people, I understand that anti-Semitism is definitely real. And I understand that it has a long history and it has a violent history. 
And I also understand that there needs to be a way to be able to navigate this space and be able to speak about it by not, of course, falling into anti-Semitism, but also not being distracted by the charge when it's clearly not anti-Semitism. And also, I've also noticed this discursive move by people saying, even us talking about maybe some well-meaning folk, Jewish folk, even us, even we are against, the, and they say, the current state of Israeli government, of the Israeli government. And, I'm, and I have to say to myself, it's not about the current state, it is the state itself is the problem. But then again, that comes to, oh, are you calling for the extermination of Israel? Are you calling for et cetera, et cetera? And that's where it gets a bit difficult to navigate. So yeah, your thoughts. Yes, I, th- I think that's tr- that oh, everything you said is true. The trouble is, in some Palestinians speak, they use, they themselves conflate the Jews Lehud with with the, with the state of Israel, but basically we have to be very clear about it and where it comes from. And where it comes from is not only from the atrocities Israel is committing now, which is in the name of all Jews in a way. I mean, certainly in my name, I'm an Israeli citizen and I'm a daughter of the of the collectivity of perpetrators. But it also goes back a long time ago when. The state of Israel, the Zionist movement, was constructed in order to liberate the Jews from anti-Semitism, in order to solve the Jewish problem, which then became the Nazi problem. And in fact, in truth, in our lifetime, the lifetime of my parents, the memory of the Holocaust was very much alive. They had lived through it. So you cannot just dismiss it by saying it's not true that there is... Antisemitism, because antisemitism exists to these days. My son, who lives in London, told me that his daughter, for instance, had been accosted at school because she has a Hebrew name. Where does his name come from? Oh, you're Jewish, and dismissed. And it was very offensive to her because she, in fact, is quite a supporter of Palestinian rights. So we have to disaggregate, and it takes time. But we in the Palestine Solidarity Movement, both Jews and non-Jews alike, in the two jurisdictions I've lived in now, one first in, in Ireland and now here in Australia, I'm very, very clear that anti-Semitism, like all for other forms of racism, would not be accepted by those who are struggling to support Palestine. And we have to disaggregate the acts of not only the state of Israel, but also Israeli people within the state and some of their supporters abroad from the acts of Jews as Jews. You know, people should be free to go to synagogue, to buy kosher food, to, to, do, to go about the business as Jewish people without meeting anti-Semitism, which exists all the time. I used to get anti-Semitic hate mail all the time in, in my life in Ireland. Whenever I supported, say, refugees, asylum seekers, I was told I was a dirty Jew and I should go back home and all the rest of it. So it exists, but we have to disaggregate and be clear that it not only emanates from the actual current atrocities committed by the state of Israel, but by the history of the Zionists themselves conflating Jews and Israel. Thank you so much, Ronit. I had a question. I'm kind of thinking through how to formulate it. And it was more so, I guess, on something that was kind of spurred on by something Barnaby Rain kind of recently spoke about a while back, but has kind of reiterated in the context of, of a podcast recently. And it was about if it's okay to kind of focus this on sort of like Britain for now. It was specifically about how within many contexts, we find people who have historically and maintain anti-Semitic perspectives who would not necessarily even consider Jewish people 
within kind of having suitability to stay in in places like Britain have now identified so strongly with Israel. For example, someone like Tommy Robinson, right, who is a very noted and notable white supremacist, who is someone who has historically demonstrated against things like multiculturalism, who parrots the idea of the great replacement theory, which we know is a a, quite a significant Zionist anti-Semitic trope. Like, how have they now been so captured, you know? Why is he now, for example, or why might he he now be, you know, organising a protest and encouraging people who align with him, who we would view in, in the lens of a very traditionally racist idea, now towards the, supporting the state of Israel? You see, there are issues, and Alana Lentin has written about it quite extensively, of a war on anti-Semitism, elevating anti-Semitism is a worse sort of racism than other sort of racism. Totally disregarded, disregarding the um, legacy of slavery, of colonialism, of the genocide against indigenous people and whatever, as if the only problem that exists because of the Holocaust is anti-Semitism. Anti-Semitism is racism and it should be totally opposed and should, totally eradicated, but it's not the only or the worst type of racism. And what we're seeing, not only the people you talk about, but we also see something else which is quite interesting. On the left, because of the Hamas attack on 7th of October, because they murdered some Israelis, they took some Israelis hostage, allegedly they tortured some, although there's no um, no um, proof of that, it enabled lots of people on the left to refuse to speak about the genocide Israel is committing in Gaza at the moment, to refuse to condemn Israel for what it's doing, demanding that before you say anything in support of Palestine, you condemn Hamas's act of resistance. Now, I, for one, believe that decolonization and resistance is not only permitted, it's, it's a duty on the colonized to do that. And the fact that they've done it quite successfully because they're still engaging the mighty Israeli army actually has confused people on the left who were sort of sort of supportive of Palestinian uh, self-determination and now find themselves asking people to first of all condemn the Hamas, uh, what they call genocidal atrocities, uh, and then only can they say anything about what Israel is doing. And I really have a pro- huge problem with that, because we have to look at all of this within context of the rights and the duty of the Palestinians to resist their colonization, and to understand that even if not always pleasant, nobody wants to see anybody killed, but we have to continue to support Palestinians toward the liberation and to condemn the Israeli atrocities committed in our name, in the name of all Jews, because it's taken over to representing all Jews, committing now in Gaza. So I think, I think we have to disaggregate there again. But, you know, in public speak, on social media, it's very hard to be subtle. It's very hard to say too many words and to talk about it in great detail and explain that, in fact, Zionism not only causes anti-Semitism now, because people say, look at what the Jews are doing, but it also has itself anti-Semitic origins. And I'll just give you one example. In the history of Zionism, there was this tendency to create a new type of Jew, a Jew who will not be passive and would not, not go to the death-like lamb to the slaughter as they allegedly had done during the Holocaust, but would be active, fighting, masculine, proactive, rather than surviving somehow within hostile Gentile society. So this idea of we are not the Jews that our parents and grandparents were, 
we are a new type of free Jew in our own land, which is, by the way, somebody else's land, is very much an anti-Semitic trope. And we have to bear in mind that Zionism is essentially anti-Semitic in its origin, in its ideology, and in its um, thinking. And then when we try to understand what Israel is doing now, it all is part of the same story. The Not only the racialization and dehumanization of the Palestinians, but also dehumanization and discrimination against Jews from Arab countries, black Jews. For instance, did you know that amongst the kidnapped that Hamas has taken, there is one Ethiopian Israeli who has been in Hamas captivity for years now, and nobody is speaking about him. He's only a black Jew. So this racism is so inborn to the way Zionism works. And once you see it, you can't unsee it. And then you have to understand the accusation of anti-Semitism as a, tra- a tactic, as a strategy to distract from what Israel is actually doing. So you criticize it, well, you're only an anti-Semite. Or, in my case, a self-hating Jew. Thank you so much again for that. I wanted to ask you a little bit about like the racial technologies of Israel, because you speak to specifically the types of treatment that non-white Jews get. How does that kind of fit into the Zionist project? How did it fit? Yeah, how does the racial technologies, like how does Israel, or like even in the examples you've given about the treatment of black Jews, the treatment of Ethiopian Jews, what is part of that construction for them? The background for that is the fact that the early Zionist thinkers, such as Arthur Rupin and Max Norder and Theodore Herzl himself, were in fact very interested in eugenics. And in trying to trace the origins of the current Jews of their time, to the biblical times when supposedly they were heroic and they were magnificent and all the rest of it. And basically they saw these old Jews, Israelites and Judeans, as I said, members of the two tribes of the kingdoms of Israel in the north and Judea in the south, as reborn re, um, in the, um, the image of the European Ashkenazi Jew and not in the image of those Jews who were either East European, there was lots of racism within Western European Judaism against Jews of the Eastern Eastern Europe, and naturally against Jews from Arab countries and North Africa. So all of that was, people have written about it. These thinkers have written about it. They've written about the need to create this new Jew, a muscle, the Northern wrote about the muscle Jewry. In other words, the type was, very much Germanic Aryan type, a blonde, blue-eyed Jew who was very fit and very um, impressive and very masculine. And that was, from the very start, these racist images were translated into the the type of the Israeli-born or Palestine-born Jew who were fighting his Palestinian neighbors when they took over their lands, who were stealing land with impunity, who was create, recreating the land in their image, giving the villages that were captured in the 48 war, Hebrew names and so on and so forth. And in all of that, Jews from Arab countries and North African countries who only came later were very much looked down upon because they were dark-skinned. They were not fitting the Europe away from Europe, European home that the Zionists were creating in Palestine. So... Zionism was racist from the very start. And then discrimination against 
Oriental Jews called Mizrahim, which were basically Arab Jews and North African Jews, became institutionalized. And this can be seen by various uh, you know, tables of income differentials and education differentials. These things have, have slightly changed now because people have intermarried and things changed. And the difference, the clear difference between European Jews and non-European Jews have somewhat blurred, but it still exists. And Israel is racist, not only towards the Palestinians, who it regards as the Minister for Defense said, as human animals, but also against Jews who were not European Jews, not Jews in the, in, in the image that they envisaged from the very start. Does that make sense? Absolutely. Thank you. So, no, absolutely. Thank you. That was um, extremely lucid and necessary, actually, in thinking about Zionism as a project of a continuation of whiteness. We understand that. That's why Zionism seeks to create, as you said, the perfect Jew or as excluding other forms of Jewishness as being not a part of that state project and that state craft. We've often said in many of our rallies and demonstrations that Palestine is the litmus test. And not that we are saying the Palestinian struggle is above any other struggle, but rather within the Palestinian struggle, we see a convergence of many other struggles, a struggle of land, a struggle of colonialism, settler colonialism, capitalism, U.S. imperialism. So I guess in your my question is, in, in your mind, in your understanding, your reading, what does Palestinian liberation mean and what is how do you understand it in our time? Well, it's not for me to say to the Palestinian how the liberation should look. But I think it's very important yeah. that we be committed to the decolonization of Palestine. And this, I, I kind of take Fanon's uh, ideas of decolonization. Basically, decolonization is essentially a, dis, a disorder. And the armed struggle can be part of it. It's not up to us to tell Palestinians how to resist their own colonization. We first of all have to agree that there is a colonization, and there is that existence is resistance. I just want to read you a couple of sentences from Fanon from The Wretched of the Earth. He said, the settler keeps alive in the native an anger which he deprives of outlet. And violence, he reminds us, leads not only to trauma and hence submission, but also to the colonized making it their own. And this is very interesting in terms of how Palestinians are looking, internalizing their traumas. And it becomes because they're deprived of an outlet, they do what they can, from a child picking up a stone and throwing it, to Aitamimi slapping a soldier who basically invaded the, her back our front yard, to a Hamas throwing missiles and taking people hostages. I think Palestinian liberation is about them making a decision on how their future should look like. And lots of, lots of Jewish people, some Israeli people, talk about the future. One state, two states, federation, whatever. It's not up to us. I really think Palestinians should lead their liberation. One of my Palestinian colleagues in, in Palestine, in Israel, has said that it's up to the um, colonized to allow the settler a place in the post-colonization period in the sense of South African Whites were given a part if the post-apartheid South Africa. I don't think so. But if they want to, fine. I don't think most Palestinians would like to kill all Jews. There are some, of course, hot-headed who might. But I think they want to see the land shared by the people who live there, the people who 
should all belong equally. And this, to me, would be ideal. But I think Palestinians should lead the decolonization outcome, should lead the struggle. And we, their supporters, both Israelis and Jews and non-Jews alike, those in solidarity with them, should take their lead and support them throughout this very painful process. Because at the moment, it's desperate. I think at the moment, Palestinians are bleeding, they're crying, their children are barely making, making it from day to day. And we need to, to, to be the witnesses, to, to, to give space for this, for this experience, to look at it, support them, and make it visible. Because, for instance, I think, I don't know how it is in the United States, but here in Australia, in Britain, there's not enough um, evidence of what is actually happening in Gaza. And you have to go to stations such as Al Jazeera to look at what's happening. We need to let the Palestinians lead their liberation. How I see it is how they would see it. It's their country, which we have taken over. And I think we need to let them lead this liberation and not tell them how to run it and not to even not to even say that the two-state solution is gone. I mean, it's clear it's gone. You know, Palestine and Israel are very tiny. It's a very tiny space. It's half the space of Ireland with 14 million people living there. You know, I don't, I don't, don't know how, how to equate it in terms of American, in American sense, but but you, you'll be able to, to relate to each other. I mean, it, Hadika, Hadija, Hadija, you'll be able to relate to the state, to the size of it, yeah? So it's very tiny, and two states is a ridiculous kind of idea, even to have two states in this small place. Think of Gaza, what this small place is. It's up to Palestinians to lead the liberation, to manage the liberation, to stage manage it, and to decide what is the next thing? We need to enable it. This is my my life philosophy. Thank you so much. Did you have a final wrap-up question? Where it comes from, I think, is from Western colonialism, imperialism, and racism. And that's the only, only way. Because, yes, civil society is in support of Palestine everywhere. Everywhere I look, there's support for Palestine. But states are not yet. And... Um, if I think even of the ICC, the International Criminal Court, refusing to take Israel to 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 court, it must explain it must explain how there is an investment seeing Israel as both victim and supremacist. I mean, this is Zionism's two basic ideas: is Jews as victims and Jews as supreme. Jewish supremacy and Jewish victimhood are united. But there is another thing. There is, a, there is a, the geopolitical consideration that Israel is seen as a base. Why has the United States sent so many uh, aircraft carriers to the area? It's not about Israel. It's about Iran. It's about another war that the West would like to hold. And I'm not quite clear about what the plans are. But I've heard all sorts of speculations about that. So Israel is really used, in a way, in order to facilitate imperial struggles, which is, which is kind of, in a way, very um, annoying in relation to people who live in Palestine, both Israelis, Israeli Jews and Palestinian citizens of Israel, and Palestinians who live in the occupied West Bank and in besieged Gaza. Because basically, it's a pawn, a pawn that's convenient to use, to go on using for something which is quite beyond the Palestinian struggle for liberation. 
I don't think anybody, including the Arab states, is much interested in Palestinian liberation, even though it's a litmus test for morality, for justice, for um, um, history judging us. I think it's very low on the order of priorities. Absolutely. And yeah, on that note, thank you so much for joining us on the Markham Effect. Um, it's been an important episode and I'm glad that we had you on. And I'm sure they will be of much benefit to those listening who are perhaps confused in this moment on where to stand maybe or how to understand certain terms such as Zionism, settler colonialism and Israel as a state project. So thank you so much. And until next time, peace out. Thank you very much, Mamadou and Khadija. Thank you.